What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And today, obviously, we're going to be recapping the victory over South Carolina that pushed us to 9-0. It's a little bit closer than what we've become accustomed to over the past uh, month or so here, but we got the win. It's all that matters. We saw some of the upsets across the country yesterday, especially in the Big Ten. You know, those kind of things happen any given Saturday, so... I know it wasn't maybe as dominating a performance as we've had recently, but hey, we got the win, uh, 9-0. Oh, and by the way, we clinched the SEC East title, which is awesome. Yes, it is crazy awesome. That is step one, though. It's only step one. we got to keep chopping wood. we got bigger goals down the stretch here. But we'll get into all that here in just a few minutes. But before we do, just a couple quick news items here for you guys. If you're not already following us on Twitter, you can definitely do so, and that's at glory underscore UGA on Twitter. You can also email us any thoughts, questions you guys might have to our email address, which is gloryujapodcast at gmail.com. Also, for some of our newer listeners, you guys can find us on a bunch of different platforms out there. We know you guys are listening to us somewhere, clearly, but uh, we're on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. You can also find the show on dogsportsradio.com or the dogsportsradio app, part of the larger V4O internet radio network. If you guys have a free second, we'd really, really sincerely appreciate any ratings and reviews you could throw our way. We'd love to hear your feedback there, guys, so do not be shy. But all right, Kurt, let's go ahead and get into this recap, man. we got a good bit to talk about here today. So this was clearly our closest game, score-wise at least, since the Week 2 trip to South Bend. really haven't been challenged, at least at the scoreboard, since that point. So, Kurt, what do you attribute that to, the fact that this game in South Carolina was closer than we've had in probably about a, a, almost a two-month span here since we went to South Bend? What do you chalk that up to? To me, honestly, I believe that while South Carolina lost Kentucky, I do believe that they're the best team in the East. Um, the second-best team? The, or the second-best team, yeah. Second-best yeah. team in the East. Not and the I best. Believe, I also think that you know their strength right now has been their defense. And I think coming into the game, we – Especially with Auburn coming up next week, I don't know how much that went into our game plan of how conservative we are. Because, you know, I was talking to you during the game, and I thought we weren't as explosive with our play calling as we had been. And we more or less just tried to control the game and, you know, um, let our defense win it. I mean, just like that opening uh, onside kick, I mean, if we had really wanted to, or I mean, I feel like if Kirby had been afraid, he wouldn't have done something like that, but he had faith in our defense. What's your take, just real quickly, I know this is kind of a side note, but real quickly, what's your take on that opening kickoff there with the onside kick. Were you cool with that? I, I mean, obviously it didn't like, work out. I, actually, I like the call. I mean, I think it was a great call. I mean, it's the opening kickoff. You don't expect an onside kick in the opening kickoff. I mean, you've got all your energy going. You, you expect it to be going deep. And then at the same time, I mean, he had I, – I, I have enough faith in our defense. I think our defense is strong enough to hold them, which they did. And, uh, you know, I think, it, you know, if this was our defense from year last year, some of those other defenses, especially the ones that, you know, struggle in the red zone, that I, I think, you know, it was okay. Yeah, I think Kirby's mindset was very similar there, and I think it played out that way, right? So we don't get the onside kick, but we, we were able to hold them. They hold them to a field goal attempt. They missed the field goal, which has been an issue for them all throughout the season. They've kind of been a little bit better as of late, but they've had a trouble trouble with that all year long. So we kind of the defense bailed us out there, which I think is what Kirby was thinking. Is like we're, we're going to give this a shot. If not, we we have faith in our defense. And, you know, I did have a, I don't know about you, but in the stands, I had a lot of people around us going like, "What the hell are you doing with that onside kick? Like, why 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 are we doing that? That kind of thing." And, I, I get it. When it doesn't work out, it's very easy, right? It's very easy to criticize any kind of call, whether it's offensive play call, special teams call, defense call, whatever. If it doesn't work, obviously it's, it's easy to criticize that. But 
I don't really have an issue. I think you're right. We trust the defense right now. Clearly, they they kind of bailed us out there. But also, I think it was Kirby in a way sending a message. I think he was saying, "Look, you know, right now, you know, we're the number one team in the country, but we don't want to. We don't want to have it. Like, we don't want to play tight. We we want to go out there and just play. We want to go out there and be aggressive." I think Kirby's also shown, you know, like you said, you know, we're not going to play safe. We're going to exactly. play aggressive. Yeah, I, and I think he was. I, I mean, I'm not inside Kirby Smart said, but I can see where he's coming from, thinking potentially that, okay, with this number one ranking, is the team going to get tight? How are we going to play? Are we going to go into that kind of safe mode here and just try to you know, play not to lose, to play to win? Well, no, he came out from the get-go, from the opening kickoff, playing to win. And it didn't work out, right? Well, at least we didn't recover it, but it worked. It didn't really hurt us anything because the defense had done what the defense had, or they did what the defense had done all year and, and kind of bowed their neck and, and forced a stop there. So I don't really have an issue with it. Obviously, I would have loved for it to, to work out. And obviously they saw something on film. You know, a lot of people think, why would you do that? Well, we our coaches do a lot of scouting, guys. That's kind of what they do for a living during the season. Spend upteenth hours in that in in the film room just watching what what the other teams do. And clearly they saw something. If you go back and watch the replay, their their up back, or not the up back, the guy on that front line there, he turned his back. And he so it, I see what our coaching staff was looking at there. He just happened to catch at the corner of his eye and he re, he had the quickness to react, but he, he had turned around essentially. He just happened to react quickly and was able to pounce on the ball before we could get there. But I don't really have too much of an issue with the call. But I know, I know there there are some people out there wondering why are we doing that at that point in the game, coming as number one team in the country. But going back to the original question there, you know why was this game a little bit closer? I tend to agree with what you said there. I think a lot of it had to do with the game plan. Yes, I know we only, we beat them by two touchdowns. Twenty four ten doesn't seem overwhelming. It's a nice solid victory, but compared to how we beat Florida, compared to how we beat Mississippi State and Tennessee, Vanderbilt, all those teams, it wasn't that. Do, it, well, the scoreboard didn't indicate that dominating performance. But if you look at the numbers outside of the scoreboard, I know the scoreboard is really ultimately what counts. And that's what people look at. All these people voting and whatnot. Most of them, I should say. But I know it was only a twenty four ten final score. But if you look at the rest of the game, Kurt. Could you make an argument that this still was a dominating performance? Yeah, I mean, when you really get down to it, we controlled the game. It was never in doubt. We were never playing from behind. It was never like that. I mean, and these games happen. It's SEC. Everyone, like we said before, you know, last week, that's why I picked us to take the under. I thought we'd win, but it'd also be a close game. Um, and, and that's the thing. I mean, even look at Alabama. I mean, at, against A&M, who... You know, got blown out by uh, Mississippi State and teams like that. Right. Um, it was a close game with a, fr- a backup freshman quarterback. Yeah, and that was. I mean, you're right. It's a very similar game, though, to, to to our game on Saturday against South Carolina, where yeah, the final score is a little closer than what the actual game was. You know, like Texas A&M was never. They were never actually going to win that game against Alabama. Like, Alabama was never in danger of losing that game, right? And yeah. I, I think you could say the same thing for us on Saturday. Like, yeah, I know it was only a two-touchdown win, okay, whatever, but we were never really in danger of losing that game. I know early in the game it was 7-7 or a while there, but we kind of assert, as soon as they score, we come back and assert control again, and we, we, ne- we never really pulled away like we could have. I really wanted, when we were up 21-10, down there on the goal line there, I really wanted that final touchdown. Of course, everybody won that final touchdown, because that would have completely put them away. You go up by three scores, and, it, and that game is done. We gave, we gave them a little bit of breathing room there, but still, like we weren't really in danger of losing the game. We were just in danger of maybe not winning as impressively as we would have liked to have won. Because if you look at the total yards, I mean, we outgained them 438 yards, 270 yards. Uh, we completely stifled the rushing attack, held them to 2.5 yards for carry, 43 total yards. They didn't try to run the ball that much because they didn't have any success. Uh, so, I mean, 2.5 yards carry, that's nothing. Uh, we forced a couple, we forced Bentley into two interceptions. He only threw four picks all year, forced him to throw two picks uh, on Saturday. 
hadn't, he hadn't thrown a pick in 152 straight attempts. Yeah, 152 straight attempts. You're exactly right. But yet we force him to do that. So, and, and I know time of possession doesn't always matter, but time of possession does matter when your game plan centers around trying to possess the football. So when, you, when you're trying to possess the football and you're able to possess the football, that's a dominating performance because you're doing exactly what you wanted to do. We held the ball 38 minutes, 22 seconds to 21 minutes, 38 seconds. Again, for some teams that like, go spread, hurry up, we play with tempo, time possession is irrelevant. But for a team like, like us, when we want to pound the ball at you and we want to possess the ball, it does matter. And we, we did exactly what we wanted to do. So we dominated this game in every facet. I Bentley ended up throwing for, what, 227 yards? That's okay. I mean, that's whatever. That's that's. If Jake Bentley is throwing for 227, we hold him to 43 yards rushing, 270 total yards, I'm okay with that, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, other than that one touchdown drive, I mean, the, and you also have to put into account if we don't have that red zone turnover. I mean, yep. it's also a seventeen point game right there. And minimum I mean, seventeen point game, minimum. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, but the thing is, we we did. Uh, you're right. If I mean, I was sitting in the stand saying the same thing, and going come home after the game and talk to my wife saying the same thing. I know people are gonna look at this and say it was only a two touchdown win. What's wrong with Georgia? And ESPN had a headline. I figured. It, who the writer was, but and I know the writer don't don't create the headlines, the editors. But essentially, it was on the lines of I don't remember exactly what it said, but something on the lines of Alabama Alabama rolls while Georgia struggles with South Carolina. Something like that. It's like what if the, the games are the exact same scores? That makes no sense. I mean, uh, LSU outgained they outgained Alabama. It's just it's and I don't want to say it's their bias against us. It's just I mean, let's be honest. So let's be honest. The college football playoff committee is the only one that had us at number one. ESPN right. still has ESPN ranked number one and still has them number one right. in the power rankings. It is it is frustrating to me because I, I you're right. The college football playoff rankings or the, that committee is the only one that really has an ultimate say in it. But ESPN does have power in creating a narrative. Okay, they they absolutely are I influential. Say that, that, that they do, but it hadn't. I mean, this whole year they've been pushing Bama, but in the very first college playoff. It showed that, you know, right now that it doesn't really matter. The committee is going to be independent of what ESPN is promoting out there? I think right now they are, especially after all the heat they've gotten the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I really had no – I really did not have many issues at all with the initial ranks. I know it's easy to say when we were ranked number one, but looking at the rest of the top 25, I didn't really have any issues with what the committee did. I thought they did a really good job. Um, but Alabama got outgained by LSU, beat LSU at home by the same score that we beat South Carolina, whereas we outgained South Carolina by like 175 total yards and, and really controlled that football game. So I, like, and I, I'm not saying they're biased against us. It's just Alabama, I guess, has earned the benefit of the doubt over the years, and they got that name recognition, that name brand, where we're still trying to push through that threshold. But, you know, whatever, we'll, we'll have our day. Uh, we obviously clinched the SEC East, man, so we'll be playing. I imagine right now we'll probably be playing Alabama. I guess Auburn still has a little bit of say in that, ultimately. Uh, but if you had asked me right now, it's probably going to be Bama, and, and we'll, get our, we'll get our say-so in Atlanta come the first weekend of December, but I just, you know, just seeing that kind of stuff, you just kind of shake your head and kind of laugh a little bit, but it's just, come on, man, like, ridiculous. It's just some of those things you see, I, I don't know where, where they're coming from with some of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, this was a closer game, right, but all in all, I think we played fairly, we, we played very well, maybe not as well as we had, we, we didn't hit, what really was the issue is we didn't hit as many explosive plays, and talking about the numbers on the scoreboard, we didn't hit those big gainers, those huge explosive plays like we did against Florida, uh, like we have, like we did against Mississippi State, like we did against Tennessee. We had a kind of, we had a few big plays, but n- none that really went the distance. We had no touchdowns that were like you know fifty yard plus touchdowns. So we kind of had grind it a little bit more, go with longer drives. But should we be concerned, Kurt, at all? Even though we both agree that we kind of dominated the game, despite what the score might indicate, 
But should we be concerned at all that we did not blow this team out? Because you're right. We, we should have had at least a field goal there when Terry fumbles on that opening possession. But, hey, that's on Terry. That's that's a shortcoming. We've got to fix that up. That, that's something that we did. We shouldn't have done that. So should we be concerned at all that we didn't blow this team out? No, I mean, like I said last week, I didn't think we'd cover the over. I mean, I think people were being a little bit ridiculous with the, the high the over 25, 24 point spread. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is a very physical South Carolina team. You know, the coaches did a good job tapping in on the anger of a lot of those kids, especially on defense, that we didn't recruit hard. And you knew Will Mushan was have these guys fired up, man. You, got, yeah, you have I mean, a chance on the road to play the number one team in the country. And a lot of, you're right, a lot of those players, he can tell them, hey, Georgia didn't want you. And. <laughs> So, I mean, he's going to have him fired up to play. So, you're not concerned at all that it was only a 14-point victory after all these blowout wins? No, because I think the way we controlled the game is what made it nice. I mean, if we hadn't controlled it and we were, you know, struggling to – we you know, we scored last second to get make it a 14-point win instead of seven, I may have been worried. But we controlled the game, and it was never in doubt. I agree with you. And, look, honestly, guys, this is – I really believe this is the kind of game Kirby – Kirby Smart long-term wants us to play. Now, obviously, he wants to blow teams out, clearly, and we've been doing that. But, like, the way that we controlled this game, how we controlled the clock, we had these long, drawn-out drives, we were able to run the football, we threw the ball when we needed to throw the football, or we won with our defense, our defense played great throughout the game, held on 270 total yards. So, you run the ball, possess the clock, shorten the game, play really good defense. Is that not Kirby Smart in a nutshell? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what he—that's what he envisions our program being. Of course, he wants to score more points, and we could have scored more points. We just, you know, there's a few things that we didn't—that you know, the fumble. Obviously, we had a few plays that we could have hit that we didn't quite execute properly. But just, I think really the fact that we didn't blow them out comes down to the game plan. I mentioned this in that with that first question there. If you look at the game plan, guys, we only threw the ball, and I, I was screaming about this. Okay, I was absolutely screaming about this. And Curtis, I, I mean, I was texting. You know, I was texting you about this, but. On first and second down, we had 57 first or second down plays in the game. Okay, 57 first or second down plays. You want to take a guess how many times we threw the ball on a first or second down play out of 57 opportunities? Maybe 10. 11. We threw the ball 11 times on first or second downs out of 57 opportunities. Now, that's my math. I, I watched the game and charted it. How many times did we throw it uh, on a first or second down? And then I counted how many total first or second down opportunities we have. I came up with 11 passing plays on 57 attempts on first or second down. That comes out to 19% of our first first and second down plays that we actually threw the football. And when we did, we were very successful. On those 11 plays, we were thir- we, we we averaged 13 and a half yards per completion on those plays. So I would honestly law and look, it's hard to nitpick here when we when we won this football game. But against better football teams, and South Carolina is a good team. This is a 6-3 football team. I agree with you. I think they're probably the second best team in the East even though they lost us to Kentucky at home. That was when Debo Samuel got hurt. Uh, Bryce Nott Williams got hurt. They didn't really know how to adjust. They've adjusted to those losses by now. I think if they play Kentucky next week, I think they would beat Kentucky. Uh, but Kentucky beat them, whatever. But I do think they're probably the second best team in the S- or in the East. And hey, you and I were talking about this before the game yesterday. I know it's it's a moot point now, but if South Carolina would have won, if they would have beat us on Saturday, and then we turn around and lose next week to Auburn, and South Carolina beats Florida next week, South Carolina was going to Atlanta. So this team had a lot to play for. They still mathematically had a chance to play in Atlanta. They weren't completely done, you know, and you know Muschamp was selling on that. So we were able to, we were able to kind of overcome that, overcome them being excited to play that game. But so I, when we play better teams, like oh I don't know Auburn next week, do you think we can get away? Are we good enough offensively to get away with only throwing the ball eleven times on first and second down at a, with fifty-seven no, I mean, opportunities? Honestly, we- 
not only that, but I think we played our worst game all around, and, you know, we still controlled and dominated. And like you said, I mean, yeah, we won't be able to do that against good teams. But I think it's also a wake-up call at the same time. I mean, um, you know, we made some mistakes that we hadn't made in the past, and you know those things are going to get cleaned up on. So, yeah. Like, just like the fake, uh, fake punt. Yeah, God, it, the thing was, like, Jarvis Wilson was in good position. He he read it from the get-go. He just didn't play the ball in the air right. It's not like he's never been in coverage either. I mean, he's a safety. I mean, he doesn't get a ton of playing time, but he's been out there playing. And you're, I mean, he's, he's just frustrated. It's not like he's a you know first year. Right, exactly. You're right. You're right. I mean, it was just frustrating because if you go back and watch the play, he was in good position. He read the play perfectly. He was not fooled at all. He just did not play the ball in the air like he should have, and they got the pass or the the holding call there and give up an easy first down, which. Which is frustrating when the defense gets a big stop like that, and then you give him up, give him that play, and you saw much of him on the sideline. He was he was all pumped up about it and laughing about it. It's like, dude, that should that shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't happen at all. But I mean, going back to the game plan, like you know, why we didn't blow this team out, guys. Look at this this again. This is kind of what Kirby, I think, long term is looking for us. I think this is like, this is what he wants out of our team. Again, play defense, control the clock, pound the football, shorten the game. And in the first half, we had five drives. I'm not, I'm not going to count the last drive because that was right before halftime. We weren't really trying to do anything. But we had we had four real drives in the first half. And those were 10 plays, 11 plays, 10 plays, and 8 plays. In the second half, we technically had five possessions. The last two were us just trying to run the clock out. So if you don't count those last two possessions, we just run the clock out with under two minutes to go. We have got we had three possessions of oh, 10 plays, four plays, and 15 plays. Now, all those stuff, if you look at those seven drives right there, take out the drives right before the end of the half, right before the end of the game, that's 9.7 plays a drive, and they average a little bit over four and a half minutes a drive. That is what Kirby wants. I am telling you right now, with a true freshman quarterback and the defense we have, that is Kirby Smart's dream. That's what he wants. He wants to be able to salt the game away, run the clock. And you know what? If we don't beat him by 30 points, so be it. We won the football game. We didn't give their quarterback. And Jake Billings is a good quarterback. We didn't give him a ton of opportunities and a ton of time to go out there and make plays. We shortened the game. So I know you're going to have these guys on ESPN, on the radio, whoever. They're going to look at the scoreboard. All the people who don't actually watch the game and just look at the box score and say, oh, wow, Georgia only beat South Carolina 24-10. Like, what's wrong with Georgia? If you actually watch the game, we controlled the game entirely throughout. We just salted yeah, I mean, it away. People, it'll be the same people trying to say stuff about that, but you know we'll be out there making excuses for you know Ohio State getting blown out by a, not a good Iowa team. Iowa is okay at best. They're okay at best, and that I mean, and not yeah, not even just losing to Iowa. Yeah, it's not even like it was a seven or ten point game. No, it was a third. Yeah, I mean, coming off the big game. win. Yeah, come off the big win at home against Penn State. Everyone's patting on the back. It's understandable yeah, yeah, to lose. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it's understandable to lose at Iowa, but not to lose by what thirty-one points. Like that's crazy. That's that's insanity. I don't. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I still can't kind of wrap my head around how that happened. That's insane. But but that gives you case in point. Like you, people who know me and you know me, Kurt. Like I'm one of those nervous Nancy kind of dudes. Like I get every single game. Even if, even if I know beyond a shadow of a doubt we are the better football team. Like we were on Saturday. I knew we were the better football team. Clearly. If you watch us play and watch South Carolina play all year, you knew we were the better football team. But it's those kind of games where you see Ohio State getting blown out at Iowa. You see Penn State losing to losing to Michigan State at home, and Penn State's a better football team. I know they had a, they had a rain delay or weather delay, or whatever. Clemson losing to Pitt at home last year, but those kind of like those outcomes. That's the kind of thing that concerns me because any given Saturday, man, any given Saturday in college football you can go down to a team that you're significantly better than. So I, I get nervous about that. I, I get in the stands. I know the people around me, all, my, all the season ticket holders around me, I love those guys, but they probably just they probably hate me because I'm always just like freaking out in the stands, like banging my head against the wall. It's just, it's just me. 
But upsets happen. Better teams lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. And I'm always afraid that's going to happen to us. All right, well, let me ask you this, Curry. We were talking a little about Bama, talking about us in the playoff rankings there. Will we, will, do you think we're going to retain the number one ranking when those updated playoff rankings are released on Tuesday? I hope not. You're, are you still on that? You'd rather us not be ranked number one? I mean, it's not that I wouldn't want us to, but I mean, I think it's a, I think it would just be a real huge sign of disrespect to, you know, have the same exact score as Alabama, but then get moved down. Imagine the chip on our shoulder we would be able to yeah, play with saying. going into Auburn. It's not, it's not about being, I wanted to be number two to be hungry. I just, like I said, I just think it'd be a huge chip on the shoulder. And you're, a I mean, slap in the face to our team. I completely see where you're coming from, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I can't sit here and say with any kind of honesty that I haven't thought that same thing throughout the day today. It's like, you know, I... Uh, when I saw the ESPN headline, I was kind of, huh, you know, I wouldn't be. And I know what ESPN doesn't have really, I guess, any direct say on what happens in the playoff rankings, but like, yeah, yeah, I would, I would be okay if Bama jumped us because that give us a little chip on our shoulder. Well, it's the one or two doesn't matter because if we both went out, it's all going right. down. Again, yeah, and that's why I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, so, so what if we dropped number two? Because right now these rankings, it's great to be ranked number one, but it doesn't really matter right now. For us to get where we want to be, we're going to have to keep winning, and we're going to have to beat Alabama in the in the SEC title game. And th- those final rankings that come on that Sunday after SEC championship weekend, that's the one that matters. All these other ones is just kind of a, a, a beauty contest, right? It's a beauty pageant where you say, okay, I'm number one. No, I'm number one. So it's great to be ranked number one, but it, it, it just doesn't really mean all that much right now. So if we happen to get dropped to number two because we only beat South Carolina by 14 points at home, I wouldn't be all too upset by that because I – Kind of like the idea of going into Auburn with a little extra chip on our shoulder there. I think uh, I think that might work to our advantage quite a bit there. But do you think that's do you think that's going to happen? Do you think Bama's going to jump us? I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know, man. I, uh, they, like I said, their game was I know, maybe, and you can maybe say LSU is a better team than South Carolina. I don't know. Would you say? Or do you think? Do you think LSU would beat South Carolina? Probably because. Uh, I it's think still an LSU have, team that lost to Troy. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I just think their defense stepped up a little bit. I don't think their offense. They have more talent than South Carolina, no I doubt. Think it'd, be a, it'd be a similar game to when they played Florida. Yeah, they. they had, I think clearly LSU has more talent than South Carolina, but I don't think that. I don't. I don't think it would be a blowout. I think South Carolina would definitely play them close, uh, and, and South Carolina would have a chance to win that football game. But I guess what I'm saying here is like, okay, maybe you could say LSU was a little bit better of an opponent than South Carolina, so maybe it's a little more understandable why Bama didn't completely blow them out, and it's a big time rivalry. But still, Bama got outgained, and we outgained South Carolina by 175 yards, regardless of the 24-10 score. So I think it would be kind of ridiculous if they did have Bama jump us just based off the results of this past weekend. But I'm with you. I wouldn't be altogether surprised because, you know, there's a lot of Bama love out there. And there's a they do get, and they have earned the benefit of the doubt, I guess, to a degree, although I think what what's happened in the past year should not should not matter whatsoever when it comes to this year's rankings. This year, this year should be entirely independent. But we'll see what the committee does. I wouldn't be shocked either. All right, well, let's move into our shout-outs and shots fired here, Kurt. Obviously, we're going to start with our shout-outs, like always, man. We'll get the good stuff out of the way first. Who are you going to start with, man? Who gets your first shout-out? Um, I'm going to go with Sony Michelle. I know Nick Chubb had the 100 yards rushing, but I felt like Sony had the more important uh, rushes of the day. I mean, like that first touchdown where, you know, he doesn't get bottled up, able to bounce it out. And uh, there's a lot of those big third-down runs, and, you know, and especially in the second half where, you know, he was bouncing off people, and it was, you know, it wasn't the first or second guy that brought him down. And, you know, I think those were huge runs that, you know, moved our offense. His ability to make people miss in the holes uh, is – I don't want to say it's unmatched on the team because I think DeAndre Swift has a very similar ability to make people miss in the hole, but he has he he can do that he can do something that I don't think Nick Chubb does all that well. And I, I'm, I'm, I had Sony on here too, so I'm going to ask you this question, and this might be blasphemous because I love Nick Chubb. We all love Nick Chubb, 
But should Sony Michelle be getting more carries than Nick Chubb at this point? I've said that since last season. Yeah, I know. We, we both were on that last year, but Nick was also coming back from injury. Now that Nick's – I don't – well, I guess it's – just a fact, let's be honest. Sony can do so. He's so much more versatile. He's better at catching the ball in the backfield, and I believe he's also a better pass blocker. Like, this breaks my heart even even having these words come out of my mouth. Like, all right now, like, it's physically painful for me to say this because I love Nick Chubb and, and who he is, the kind of player he is, what he represents, kind of leader he is. I mean, he's the, the – quintessential type of player you want on your team. He is he is the essence of a damn good dog. There's just no doubt about it. But my thing is when I'm watching those guys play, I feel like Sony can do everything Nick does. I think Sony runs – I mean, th- there's this conception that it's like thunder and lightning, right, that, that Nick is the thunder and Sony's the lightning. Dude, I think Sony runs just as hard, if not harder, than Nick does. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I would 100%. I mean, he puts, Sony will put that shoulder down and flat out run over you. So I think – he can do just about everything that Nick Chubb does, but he also can do some things that Nick doesn't do as well. Nick does a lot of things really well, but he he cannot make people miss in the hole like Sony can, like almost make something out of nothing when you're one on one with a guy in the hole. He just maybe his freshman early part of his sophomore year, but right now he, over the past year and a half he hasn't shown the ability to do it like Sony has. There were at least three runs yesterday against South Carolina where Sony completely made guys miss in the hole. There was that one kind of the, the counter toss. On a third down play, where he makes Sky Moore miss out in space like that, gets the first down. Which I'm not—I don't think Nick Chubb would have made. I, I, I think there's a reason why Sony was in there to run that play. I don't think Nick Chubb would make him miss. I don't think he has the, the the ability to be that elusive, that quickness in space like that. I think he maybe did it at one point in his career. Right now, since he's come back from injury, I haven't seen it from him. And there's a play in the third quarter, the same thing. There's three plays at the top of my head where I can remember him doing that, and that was all Sony. And they, I think all three of them went for first downs, right? And they might have all been on, at least two of them were on third downs. They all three might have been on third down. So he can do a few things that Nick just doesn't do all that well. And you mentioned also his versatility out of the backfield in the passing game, which we really haven't used him all that much this year. We've kind of used Swift more in that role, but Sony has the ability to do those things. So as much as I love Nick, I I love Sony too. Sony's a great dude. Everything you can say about Nick, you can say the same thing about Sony. And right now, while they both have played really well and they've both been great teammates, I think Sony probably deserves more carries. And it truly pains me to say that. But I, I think he gives us a little bit more than Nick Chubb gives us at this point. Although Nick is still a really, really good running back in his own right. no doubt about it. But I had Sony on my list too, man. He did a lot of really good things for us. I had the two huge touchdown runs against Florida. And a lot of both those runs, I mean, obviously he has to do his part. But the line creates a massive holes on those plays for him to, to, to bust it and take it the distance. On Saturday, it wasn't necessarily that. It wasn't necessarily the same scenario. I think he, a lot of what he got. Yep, yeah, yellow line did their part as well. But a lot of what he got was him making things happen, especially like I said, those three plays where he's making guys miss in the hole. So definitely, I give a shout out to Sony. The next guy I'm going to go since you stole my Sony Michelle, I'm going to go Miko Hardman. Man, you with me on that? Yeah, great catch. Finally, you know, got back in it. I think he's. You know, we all we were all a little bit frustrated early in the year. I think because we had high expectations from Miko because he is such an electric, explosive athlete. He has all the athleticism you could ever want to be a major playmaker for us. I think he will be definitely as we move forward. I think he's going to be a stud for us over the next couple years. But he had to learn how to play the receiver position. It's still a work in progress, but you can definitely see the progress, right? Yeah. I mean, that catch he made, and that was over Jemias Williams, by the way. Uh, that was just that was a great play, man. And early in the year, I don't think he makes that play. I mean, he was. He, early in the year, you know, we all know, especially like that game, that play against Notre Dame, he gets himself open. He's explosive. He's a crazy athletic, but he just wasn't finishing. He wasn't making those easy catches. 
not only did he make it wasn't even an easy catch, but he made a great catch on the back shoulder throw there for a touchdown. It, the, his first catch of the game, remember that one where he, the little um, little quick pass right there, an um, RPO, just kind of swinging out to him, and he just he ran over essentially three or four South Carolina def- defenders right there and gets a I think it was an eleven yard game for a first down. So Nico Harmon really kind of coming to his own here, learning learn how to play receiver position. I think. His best football is clearly ahead of him. All right, who else you got, man? Who else you shouting out to? Oh, second of all, Christian Payne. You know, he had two uh, two nice carries, and then at the same time, he had some good blocks. And I also want to give him, you know, some credit for that special teams tackle. Pinned what a down tackle, man. What a tackle. That was great. I, I was screaming. I was actually screaming his name. I was like, Christian. It was awesome, dude. That was great. And I was actually pissed at Rodrigo for not getting out of the end zone. But, you know, I get kind of nervous when we don't get out of the end zone. I was seeing what's happened in the past. But, Got big Christian Payne there come cleaning up the mess, so uh, that's a good one, man. Good call on Christian Payne there. Uh, I gotta go with Jake Fromm. I gotta go with Jake Fromm here. I mean, look, his numbers don't jump off the screen at you necessarily. I mean, he didn't put up huge passing numbers. Uh, only threw for 196 yards, but he was deadly efficient. 16 of 22, uh, 8.9 yards per attempt. I think he outplayed Jake Bentley. I know Jake Bentley ends up throwing for more yardage, 227 yards, but he was 21 of 36, only 6.3 yards per pass. Uh, through two picks, Fromm was clean through two touchdowns, no picks, was in complete control, made a really good decision with the football. Uh, maybe only one really bad decision. That kind of st- I don't even know if it was a bad decision. It was basically, there, uh, Jamarcus King out there, the cornerback, was baiting him. Remember that, that throw to Warner where King was trying to bait him and one, try to go for the pick six there, and he almost got it. Uh, I don't know if that was necessarily a, a bad – I don't think it was a bad read, but we're, we were definitely being baited there. I would have loved for us, going back to th- throwing the ball on first second down, were you not sitting there just waiting for us to go with a double move at some point? Yeah, I was. The way we had been dinking and dunking, I was just waiting for it. I mean, they were they were giving us that. I guess the situation came that we didn't need it, and maybe they want to use it against Auburn. You saw how much we did it. Well, I mean, we were taking what they were giving us, and they were giving us those little hitches. They were playing off of us. They were giving us those little six, seven-yard hitch routes, and we were taking it. And eventually, like with the Jamarcus King there, he tried to go for that pick six when Warner was out there and trying to throw a quick little quick hitch to him. Once that happened, once they started kind of sitting on those routes, I was fully expecting us to go with a double move because it was there. It was there the entire second half. It was there for the taking. But I think you're right. I think at that point, we were able to control the ball. We run the ball fairly well. We we're still controlling the game. I guess we didn't want to take a risk there. But, man, it was it was definitely there for the taking. Maybe we were saving it for Auburn. I don't know. Um, but I would have liked to have seen those. I, I definitely want to see those moving forward. And also clear out the box a little bit too, man. There's no doubt about it. But um, I thought Jake Fromm played a really good game. Both touchdown passes, put the ball where his receiver could get it. Had a really nice block on Sony. You know that, that touchdown run Sony had? Man, when we talk about Sony, we mentioned the touchdown run. That was a great play by Sony. He kind of runs into a brick wall there on the wild dog and bounces it outside. But Jay Fromm, I don't know if you caught this, man. Jay Fromm was out there leading the way, blocking down there on the edge, kind of allows Sony to get in the end zone there. So Fromm, I thought, played really well, and we're, we're going to need him to play even better. Probably might need him to play his best game of, of the season against Auburn next week, and I think that, that's a very real possibility. Uh, all right, who are you going with next? Uh, probably. I mean, it's the guy who's always there, but you probably have to go through Quan. I mean, he's he's got a he's got a permanent spot on this list. I have him here too. I mean, his like really never you can never take him off the shout list. The dude's just an absolute freak, man. He's an eraser. I don't. What does he not do well? At this point, what is it? Like, is, is there are there any holes in Roquan Smith's game? Uh, not not him. I mean, he missed a couple tackles, but that's about it. But I mean. But, I mean not me. I mean, he's not me. Doing everything. He's all. He's he's always where he needs to be. He's. I mean, I don't know how many times he cleaned up the mess for uh for Reggie Carter. I mean, Reggie played all right. He didn't play terrible, but I mean, Roquan was cleaning up after him a couple times. He gets the sack where he reads that the, that the the running back releases, so he knows there's nobody in there to protect 
Bentley. So he just he just goes after Bentley, gets a sack, runs side on the sideline, he attacks the line of scrimmage. I don't know what the guy does. I mean, he plays well in coverage. I, just, I don't know what there is that he doesn't do well. I, th- I think he does it all. I really do. I really, really do. Uh, anyone else that you want to single out here, man? No. Right, I'm going to go one more. I've got to give some of the offensive line. We, when we run as well as we did, rush for 242 yards, 4.6 yards to carry, 53 attempts there, control the game like we did. Got to go with somebody in the offensive line. And going back and rewatching the game today on tape, I feel like Isaiah Wynn probably played the best out of the of, out of the group. I think they all played fairly well. Gilliard, I didn't think I don't think he played particularly great, not as good as he has in recent weeks. But I thought Isaiah Wynn was getting consistent movement, he pass protect well, uh, and he's been a really good player for us this year. He's kind of solidified that left tackle position for us. I know you you especially, but I, I had some concerns too coming into the season. We were concerned about Wynn at left tackle if that was really an answer for us this season. But I think he's responded very very well in the run game. He's kind of beefed up. He's been able to maintain that weight. He's been able to get some movement over there, which he hasn't. That's kind of been one of his weaknesses all throughout his career. Is he wasn't able to get consistent movement because he was just a smaller guy. But he's beefed up, bulked up, gotten good movement, uh, uses his footwork, his great athleticism to protect from very well this year. So I definitely want to make sure we give a shout-out to at least one of the big uglies up there up front. All right, well, let's move it over to the other side of the equation here, man. I hate to do this. I always say calling guys out, man. It sucks. But I want to see what you got here, man, with the shots fired. Who you – Aiming at first here. Uh, first, I got to go with Malcolm Parrish. I mean, I know he got the pick at the end of the game, but other than that, he just got abused on. I mean, he was he was being treated like he was the you know the wimp on the playground. You know, he wasn't. I don't think he was terrible, but I, 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 he, was, I he was abused by Edwards, especially in the short intermediate game because they know he can't. He wasn't great. Enough off the edge. He wasn't great. I, I still have questions. Of why Tyreek McGee's not playing there? Do you have any explanation for that? Why Tyreek well, McGee's not you know, playing in that position? He, he wasn't in there most of the time when we were in our base system. Davis was at the other cornerback spot, and when we, we started going to that defense where we were playing the one linebacker, so we brought in Davis. Yeah, when we go to um, our dime looks, yeah. So I mean, we also brought in McGee. So McGee and uh, well, Paris Davis slides into in second in. linebacker. McGee comes in as the the star, the star essentially. Yeah, I don't know. I. I you know, I go back and forth with Malcolm Parrish. I think I love the guys. Another guy is a really good teammate. He is a DGD all the way. I, I still think he's one of the better tacklers on the football team, if not the best tackler on the football team. Uh, he showed that a couple times uh, yesterday as well against South Carolina. I got the pick, but you're right. He gives up inside leverage way too much. Uh, I, but I do that that pick, man. That was he played really good. He had really good coverage on that play. He played it perfectly. He he gave him. He played inside. He gave him out. He gave him outside leverage. And he basically just he, he sat there on it, and when he when he when they saw the outright, which is what he was giving them, he he jumped on it and he took it. I mean, that, he played that pitcher perfect. But you're right, that was only one one instance, right? Yeah, that, that was one instance, and there were a couple of times where he did get beat, uh, and that's not altogether uncommon. That's kind of been the story throughout his career, especially giving up that inside leverage. I I don't know. Do you think McGee gives us that would would make us that much better on the outside if he was out there starting? He's done a lot better this year, and I and I mean, and I mean, and let's be honest, it's not like it's just a you know once in a blue moon thing for Parrish to struggle with that yeah. part of the game. He's he's hit or miss, man. He he does a lot of good things, but he also has those moments where it's like, dude, you're just you're not you're not playing with the proper technique. You're giving up inside inside leverage too easily. And he, and the fact is, he's just a small dude. He's just and, and but McGee's not that much bigger. I'll say that like they're they're similar yeah, I mean, size. Not only McGee's that much bigger. He's just more physical. Yeah. Well. 
I guess yeah. When, when he's pressing, he he, ha- he has displayed that. I think Parrish is a better tackler right now. I, think I mean, that, yeah, but that doesn't matter when he, if he can't jam him off the edge and stop him. I think it matters against the run. I, think, I, I honestly yeah, think that's I'm one saying, of the reasons why he's out there. I mean, I'm saying when it, what what they were doing to him, he he had no no answer to. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. I, I think teams are going to try to pick on him. I really do. If he's the guy out there, they're going to try to pick on him. I, I I fully expect Auburn to take plenty of shots at his way. I really do. So I hope he's ready to play, man. I really absolutely do. All right, for me, look, I hate even I hate saying this, but because he's he's been so good for this year, and he's really stepped up in his junior year. But Terry Godwin, man, and it's not his all around play. I thought he played all around. He played a good game, but that fumble, man, you simply cannot let that happen. You, if that happens against Auburn next week, we're probably gonna lose the football game. It just happens that we're that much better than South Carolina that we can overcome, turn the ball over at the five yard line. But against better football teams, we simply can't do that. And the, here's the thing. That's not the first time that's happened with Terry this year. It's the second or third time this year where that, that exact thing has happened, where he's fighting for extra yards. And I applaud him for fighting for extra yards. But sometimes you have to think, okay, he's getting one or two extra yards. Is that worth me potentially having the ball ripped out? And I know the coaches want to see you fight for every yard. I get that. But at some point, you have to use your head and realize, I'm not really getting any more yards here. And if I do, it's like one or two more yards. Is that worth the risk of them pulling the football out here? And I think you just gotta you gotta be a little smarter there. And if you're gonna fight for those yards, you better lock that football up. I, I again I applaud you for fighting for yards and being a tough guy out there. But hold on to the football, man. We simply cannot do that when we're playing Auburn on the road. When we play likely Alabama in the SEC title game. We simply cannot let those kind of things happen. So I know Terry's been great for us all year. He has been a monster for us. And he he played a really good all around game yesterday. But we cannot let those things happen. You simply cannot. Those are the kind of things that lose you football games against better against better teams. I just I, you can't let it happen. Anyone else, man? Anything else stand out to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, you gotta go with uh, Jarvis Wilson. Mm, yeah. I mean, I know it's an I mean, isolated it, it, play, it, it, but you, you can't wonder let it why you're a junior and you have people like Richard LeCount, D'Angelo Gibbs, and people like younger people ahead of you, it's things like that. You can't even, you know, do the simple things like you're a third-year safety and you're resorting to holding on a play like that. And he was in good position. That's the thing. He That's did not thing. have I mean, there's to. There's no need to do it. I think he just, honestly, I think he panicked. I think he panicked, and I'm not sure why he panicked because he was in good position. He did a great job reading it from the get-go. He was, he, he did his job. And so he pulled on the guy, and it just didn't have to happen. Did not have to happen. But, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's very fair. Uh, for me, I have one more here. And this is not directed at any one person. I think as a unit, we have got to do a better job rushing the passer. And I know a lot of it is game plan specific where sometimes we go with a mush rush and we're not actually trying to rush the passer. But if you go back and watch the game, there are plenty of times where we were trying to get after the passer with our front four. We were letting those guys go, and they just did not get there. Right now, the best pass rush we're getting is from the interior. Julian Rochester, uh, Jonathan Ledbetter, it's those interior guys lined up on guards that are getting pressure. We're not getting enough pressure on the quarterback from our outside edge rushers, whether it's Lorenzo, whether it's Davin, whether it's uh, DeAndre Walker. I think Walker is probably our best edge rusher right now when he gets opportunities. And he's good. Yeah, he just can't hold the, well, that, the edge. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, He's our it's it, our coaches are kind of like in a, it's a conundrum here. He's clearly I think our most explosive edge rusher, but he does not hold up as well against the run, and he showed that a couple of times. South, South Carolina did not run the ball well against us at all, but there one of the two I think there was two plays that had like a, a, of gains of like ten plus yards, and one of those was with DeAndre Walker who, when he he actually he played it well. He just 
let him run right by him. He didn't even try to reach out and grab him. Like, what are you doing? The one thing that I want to point out about our pass rush is that we, we started getting some r- pressure when, you know, we would bring Roquan on a blitz here there. And I'd say since Natrez has gone out, we have had to someone like a Roquan who's quick and can make, you know, get pressure on the quarterback quickly because he's out there having to protect the other, uh, other linebackers. Well, yeah, and that's, but that's part of my concern is, this, is the fact that for us to get pressure on the quarterback, we got two sacks, right? For us to get pressure on the quarterback, though, for the most part, we have to manufacture pressure. We're having to bring extra bodies. I mean, that, that, I mean, look at Alabama, though. Right now, if you if you watch LSU game, the only time they really got pressure is they were bringing safeties and everyone. I mean, they couldn't even get pressure now that they don't have people like Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams. And that's and that, but and that's an interesting point you brought up because before they had Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson the past couple of years, Alabama has had a similar similar issue to what we're having. I don't know if it's an issue. I think it's partly schematics. I think it's kind of what what Kirby was going for, Bama was going for here. I don't think I think he wants to be safer rather than rushing the pass. If you don't have true like if you don't have those deadly lethal pass rushes like a Tim Williams or Ryan Anderson, I think he'd rather just play smart, contain the quarterback, keep him in the pocket so you know where he is. Because you saw what happened with, with Julian. When Julian should have had that sack in the fourth quarter, and he and uh, Bentley's able to, to get out of the sack, and then when he kind of scrambles, he hits Hayden Hurst for a big gain. Whereas that was only because it was one of those scramble plays where he just kind of Hayden Hurst just plays backyard football and kind of I runs mean, down the field, gets know, open. Kirby I think Kirby doesn't want he doesn't has. want that to happen. He wants guys to stay in the pocket. He does not want to have a situation where you have a scramble play where receivers just kind of just do playing backyard football, running, getting open, and the quarterback just flips it to him because that's what Deshaun Watson did to them. I really yeah, think. And, and you, I mean, I think he goes all the way back to Johnny Manziel. I think yeah, I think you can definitely say that for sure because Manziel killed him doing that. So. And going back, for years, Alabama, as good as they were defensively, did not have a dominant pass rush. They didn't have dominant pass rushers. They really didn't. They get Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson, and those guys were just really good at, doing, at rushing the passer. So they had certain uh, packages where they bring those guys on the field. And those guys didn't play every down, but they would have certain packages in certain situations where they would let those guys pin their ears back and go after them. I just don't think we have guys that Kirby trusts to do that. I don't think we have a Tim, Tim Williams-type player that in any package can really come in and do that. And I know people want to say, well, Lorenzo Carter can do it. Lorenzo has not proven that throughout his career. I know he has. He looks the part with his athleticism, but he hasn't proven to be a dominant passer. He looked like he might explode on the scene early in the year like against Notre Dame, but he hasn't really followed that, followed that up game in and game out. And Davin, he's done it at times. Again, Notre Dame played really well, but since that point, we really haven't seen it consistently. So, But it just concerns me, and maybe it is. Kirby Smart's game, but maybe is he doesn't want our guys to be rushing that heavily like that. He wants to try to get pushed from the inside, from the interior, but, but kind of play more contained on the outside to keep the quarterback in the pocket so you know where he is and you play coverage behind him. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But what, I, what I've seen over the past couple of weeks, and this is one weakness of ours. I think, in my opinion, this is one of our biggest, bigger weaknesses. When we try to get pressure on the quarterback, we've got to dial it up by bringing extra bodies, which kills us in the secondary. Obviously, we're, we're a man or two down in secondary in coverage there. So that against teams that can throw the football, that concerns me. Auburn has that ability. I mean, Stidham hasn't been fantastic this year, but he, he's good enough to hurt us if, we try to, if we're going to have to try to manufacture pressure by bringing extra bodies. So that is one thing that does concern me. I would love for us to find a way to get more pressure on the quarterback with a four-man rush and on a more consistent basis. We've done it at times. We just haven't done it in any kind of consistent way, and that – is at least slightly concerning to me. And it's not just one person. And that's why I say pass rush in general. I'm not trying to fire a shot at any one given person there. All right, anyone else, man? Anything else stand out to you there? Get a fire shot at? Uh, no. All right, last thing here, Kurt. I just want to get a prediction for you, man. We got 
Kentucky coming up in two weeks here. We'll find out when we play them Monday around noonish, noon to one, sometime around there. You got a prediction on when that game time is going to be? Do we get the three thirty uh, CBS slot? No, I think it'll be seven because I believe this will be our fourth. Uh, our fourth. I don't know how well, many. You get, get five. CBS can select a team five times in a given year, unless CBS applies for a waiver. This will be our fourth against Auburn on Saturday, so we could feasibly have one more game. I think there's a shot we get CBS. Because if you look at the rest of the matchups in the conference that weekend, you got Mercer and Alabama. I mean, Alabama's always a big draw, but they're not going to put Mercer and Alabama on. It's not going to happen. Uh, then you got the other options would be like maybe Mississippi State and Arkansas, but Arkansas is terrible. Almost lost to Coastal Carolina last week. Uh, then you got LSU, Tennessee, Texas A&M and Ole Miss, UAB, Florida, Auburn, Louisiana, Monroe, South Carolina and Wofford. I mean, really, to me, the only two viable options for CBS that week this is, this is traditionally the, the week before rivalry week where most of, a lot of teams play a, a lesser opponent, try to get prepared for the rivalry game than the following week. We got Kentucky. I think that's definitely a contender for the 330 slot. Then maybe LSU, Tennessee. You also have Missouri, Vanderbilt. Uh, that doesn't do anything for anybody. So maybe LSU, Tennessee gets selected because this would be what? So we've had, we've been on CBS for four straight weeks. So yeah, if, they, if CBS selected us, it would be four straight weeks on CBS. Although... This past week in South Carolina, yes, we were on CBS, but it wasn't their primetime game. It's kind of like the second slot there because you had uh, Alabama and LSU on primetime at 8 o'clock that night. So I think there's a realistic shot that we could be that 3.30 game because if you look at the rest of the schedule, it's almost by default. I just don't know who else we're going to put on there. Maybe you could say LSU-Tennessee, but Tennessee is a train wreck. They're a dumpster fire right now. LSU 6-3. and three. Kentucky losing to Ole Miss at home last week might have put that a little damper on that, but... If we're still number one, if we somehow end up beating Auburn, or even if we lose to Auburn, we're still probably going to be a top 10 team. To me, they're going to want to get a team like that on, even if it will be four weeks in a row. And a lot of people are going to say, well, they're not going to, CBS isn't going to select us four weeks in a row. I don't see why they wouldn't. CBS, all they care about is money. They want money. As long as they're within the parameters the SEC sets for them, which they, they can have a team five times during the year, this will be our fifth time if they chose us against Kentucky. I, I think there's a legitimate shot that they will select us because they want viewers. And the highly ranked teams are the ones that get viewers. So we'll see. I guess we'll find out uh, around noon on Monday. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here today on the show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we really do appreciate that. We'll be back later in the week. Obviously, bringing down the huge matchup against Auburn. Man, this is dude, whew, This is a big one, man. We got to get this one. Got to get this one. But uh, definitely make sure you check back with us later in the week. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.